Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Welcome, everybody, to Let Me Introduce You. My name is Katie, and I am one of your illustrious hosts. Oh, my goodness. And I'm also joined by two other amazing, (laughs) amazing, illustrious people. Secondarily illustrious. (laughs) My name is Graham. Bringing up the tertiary illustrious host, the triad. Rounding out the triad of illustrious hosts. I am Ashley. That hurts my head. (laughs) Oh, just in case you're confused about what we do here, we're three best friends from uh, film school. And for every week, there's at least one of us who's never seen a movie before. And then tension and hilarity ensues, and y'all are gonna hate me this week. Oh, <laughs> that's fine. As they I'm all shocked. They this all week will pick... really prove that like going to film school means fucking nothing when it comes <laughs> to taste, and also that the internet and smartphones have destroyed my brain. Okay, <laughs> that's that's a very real possibility. We would like to welcome you to the second in our. Politics, everything is political. Everything is political. Everything is political. And this week we are talking about a film that I have chosen, which is kind of funny and ironic given what we talked about last week with Dick. So this week I was very excited to introduce Ashley to 1976 film All the President's Men. So Ashley... Would you be so kind as to give us a quick synopsis of All the President's Men without your commentary of hatred that I know is coming? It's totally fine. Uh, I don't, I, I, woof, woof. I know, I know. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so All the President's Men, what I can remember paying attention to is it starts out and people are in Watergate Hotel, something, it's about Watergate, y'all. This movie's about Watergate and like... How it got discovered, I totally get. There's, like, tape over the door, and I totally understand that joke in Dick way better now. And they, like, get arrested by these undercover cops, and then these five people are being arraigned the next day, and Robert Redford is a reporter, and he's, like, at the courthouse, and he's talking to this guy, like, why are you here, fancy lawyer? If I'm, I'm just here. I'm just observing. And it's, like, fishy. And then they're figuring out, like, what's the whole deal? And, like, lots of stuff happens. And, like, somehow you figure out that these people are involved. Like, one person's involved with the CIA. And it's relating to the committee to reelect the president. And the Robert creeps. Redford, the creep, the creep list. And then, like, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. I love Dustin Hoffman. Although, the first time I saw him, I was like... Woodward and Bernstein. Woodward and Bernstein. (laughs) um, Back when Bob Woodward was still um, what I will refer to as still a respectable journalist. Fuck you, Woodward. And then they do all this important footwork and all this important journalism work. And, like, people don't want to talk to him. And then people are scared. And then they're being threatened. And then they make Nixon resign from all their stuff that they found out and published. So our goal of doing a 30-second debrief did not, is not happening this week. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> no. we, we were trying to be shorter. But this, we're... this is me trying to bullshit and be like, I just... Guys, I had a hard time paying attention this week. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. That's fine because I, I know you obviously have some issues with it. But that was a, you know, a great synopsis. I think probably fueled by... 
caffeine. By dick <laughs> and caffeine. That was a great snap. tea. This is, this is decaf tea, actually. Oh, okay. That's only okay. my second for today. So. <laughs> It's fueled by like, so, oh, you're it, this like when you're in college and you're an undergrad and you don't know how to write a 20 page paper. So you're just filling it with bullshit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Graham, this you've seen this movie before. I have seen this. I saw this, I think, for the first time, maybe in my mid 20s when I was going through the, the Oscar winners of the 70s that I had missed throughout the years. So second time, I think it's my second time watching it. And okay. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I think There's so much to love about it. I love the way that it looks at journalism, especially at that time. And just, I mean, Ashley, you said the footwork that they needed to do. Just like seeing that in action, I think is, was, was really riveting for me. I love the sound of this movie. (gasps) The Oscar winning sound. And Katie, this is our, this is our first Oscar winning, Mm -hmm. even Oscar nominated film that we've covered, even though we all know Troop Beverly Hills should have swept <laughs> oh, yeah. the 1989-90 Oscars. At um, least for costume design. I can't believe Dick was overlooked. I mean, Pringle Dress would have won Best Costume Design <laughs> for 89. We all know that. But I think also wa- having watched Dick last week and and then watching this and seeing yeah. how, how many homages were in Dick was really, really fun to, to make those connections. And and I just love Jason Robards in this, too. Yay! So loved loved kind of revisiting that performance so i'm very much a fan of this movie well graham you you hit on the nail on the head where i wanted to go next so yeah this is our first oscar nominee and winner that we're talking about on this podcast so far and so let me go a bit into the movie itself and then we can talk a bit about the oscar nominations so all the president's men is a 1976 political thriller based on the 1974 nonfiction book written by Washington Post journalists, reporters Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. It was nominated for multiple Oscars, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, and in 2010 was selected for preservation for the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being, quote unquote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So, Ashley, you're wrong, is basically what I'm going to say. This <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't have value. I'm saying my attention span was terrible. And I think this is also just really indicative of the last, again, the last 15 years of the way things have changed. And honestly, I feel like how a lot of mainstream cinema has just really dumbed, dumbed everything down. And just been like, well, it's just about consumption, right? And, like, I've fully, like, I'm embarrassed that I've just, like, fully lived into that. Because I used to love watching, like, films and, you know, analyzing them and appreciating them for sound and this, that, and whatever. And I just, it was, like, slower paced as it's supposed to be. But I was just like, oh. And then I just started looking at <laughs> it's, shit it's, on my it phone. It's our longest movie that we've watched so far. It's two hours and oh. 20 minutes. Yeah, That's true. Well, actually, I was reading Roger Ebert's original review of the movie from 76. Oh, Roger Ebert. And I think that, like, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, actually, I have a feeling Ashley's going to agree with a lot of this. Because he said it's truer to the craft of journalism than to the art of storytelling in a detrimental way. Mm. And he's like, it covers all these thousands of details leading up to Watergate and to the Nixon resignation. But the movie's more about the investigation than about the results. Because as you you see in the movie, like they do the whole investigation, they blow the lid off of 
the whole conspiracy thing. And then the next is like, here's a newspaper article that, you know, Nixon was ousted. And Mm -hmm. so like they, they do the end really quick. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should have read his review first. Maybe I should have just read a few reviews to get me into (laughs) it to fight my short attention span. (laughs) Do you remember how many stars he gave it, Katie? I think it was like three and a half. Okay. That's still, well, he gave, he gave a lot of three and a halves. (laughs) 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 This is a jam. Yeah, so, but like Graham mentioned, this is an Oscar award-winning film. It won Best Art Direction, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, Supporting Actor Jason Robards, who was the only actor to win consecutive Best Actor in a Supporting Role. He won for this in 77 Oscars, and then Julia for the 78 Oscars. Mm -hmm. Wow, way to go, Jason Robards. I know, right? And all of his three of his Oscar nominations were for playing real people, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. And then it, it was also nominated for Best Director, Supporting Actress, Jane Alexander, Film Editing, and Best Picture. So the Jason Robards performance is, is so subtle, and it's so subtly powerful as, as Ben Bradley. I love that Jane Alexander got nominated mm-hmm. for her. She was awesome. She's in it for eight minutes she's yeah. in two scenes who, who is she again she's the bookkeeper who basically doesn't want to let bernstein in but she does and she's really stressed mm-hmm. that she knows stuff but she can't tell them and i think that was the one point when i was visit. paying attention yeah <laughs> oh so, god so, so that's, that's, <laughs> i'm sorry well good for her then that's judy hobeck miller yeah and so one of the kind of the criticisms of the movie was that they kind of downplayed Judy's role in in the Watergate scandal because she really helped helped things get out there. But what I like about that performance getting nominated is because now there's so much category fraud in the Oscars where Mm. supporting performances that are nominated are lead performances, you know, they're these yeah. showy, flashy, they're in it for, like, most of the movie, whereas, like, I think a truly wonderful supporting performance is somebody who comes in, makes an impression in a small amount of time, and, and then leaves. And so yeah. the winner of the Oscars this year for, for was Beatrice Strait from Network. Have we seen Network? Yes. So Well, yes. You would know. You would know. <laughs> she, but, she's amazing. But she's, I think I've she's read the in, screenplay. She's in five minutes of of network and she won the oscar that year and there's other like one scene performances from the 70s that really caused a lot of commotion with with the critics and audiences to get nominated for a small amount of time you know i'm thinking also of barbara harris and who is harry kellerman and why are they saying such terrible things about him so i just think that's kind of a lost thing with the oscars these years in the past couple years it's just like studios wanting performance like their main actors to get an oscar so they just put them in supporting Hmm. to win viola davis and fences who's the lead of that co-lead of that movie so i just i don't know i just liked that that she was nominated and that jason robards who who doesn't show up till i don't know minute 40 of this movie and it's just this quiet but commanding performance that i loved wait this is embarrassing so you're talking about the oscars and I realize I don't know who gets to decide if it's a lead or a supporting role. Are you saying like the studio says we want them up for supporting mm-hmm. and not lead mm-hmm. versus like the independent academy doesn't make those decisions? 
Yeah, yeah they usually submit, like, they submit. we're submitting this person for yeah. X thing, and if they, the Academy thinks that their performance is worthy of a nomination, then they will do it. But yeah, you have to be submitted. But when you think about an award like Best Sound, you think action, you think, you explosions. know... Explosions. Explosions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, no. you don't think of something like this, which so, I think, expertly uses silence mm. and bursts of sound the opening shot of this movie where it is just a blank page and it's a blank page for like three seconds too long and then that first typewriter when it hits the j in june feels it sounds like a gunshot that's like whoa okay like here i am (laughs) i'm in here and then in later scenes when woodward is meeting up with deep throat in that incredibly silent garage and all you hear are footsteps and then you hear a car or an engine running like these like things that you wouldn't normally think are very anxiety inducing causes that because it just uses it so well but this is also like a correlation to horror right like really well done horror movies know how to use silence really well right and really build that tension and i think i think that's really something again like sound really separates regular films from amazing films and yeah the the ability to use silence for knowing how to thread the tension Mm -hmm. that's that's an incredible skill. Well, one thing that I did want to mention, like you guys talk about sound and then the performances and everything. So this was written by William Golden, who is frigging stellar. He did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Sting, The Way We Were, The Great Gatsby, Three Days of the Condor. Like he knows what he's doing. He's he's an amazing writer. And what I was reading about how he crafted this is it's, it's all these little subtle things. So like things like you were talking about with the sound or things you're talking about with the dialogue or something that I didn't even notice the first time I was watching it. But the, the way the cinematographer uses certain shots where two things are in focus at the same time, especially when like Bob Woodward is on the, the telephone trying to get that information. It's, it's something called a split focus diopter. And it was used on this to kind of figure out what's in focus and what's not. Mm. And it really, it's all these little bit things that add to it. And you don't even realize that it's all these little things all coming together to create this thing because you're already so entrenched in what the movie is or whatever. So I I, I like that a whole lot. And that's Um, like the artistry and the skill. mm -hmm. Like we as viewers just get to see the end result. But to know that... They need to have, what was it? You said a split focus diopter, like these special things in order to make that happen. Like those are the things that I loved learning about. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah. my God, how did they do that? Or like, how'd yeah. you do that iconic shot in Jaws? And it's like, well, you're pushing in yeah. and zooming out at the same time, but you have to keep mm-hmm. everything in focus. And you're like, right. fuck, there's a lot of like science and math that goes into it. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this and one of the reasons I love this movie is this movie was a part of a cycle of 1970s conspiracy movies because you had like Chinatown and Three Days of the Concord and Capricorn One. And I also, this is like peak Dustin Hoffman time for me, because I think he comes out with Marathon Man like the same year. And I just, I love this era, Dustin Hoffman. I love the feel of 70s movies, like before everyone had a phone in their pocket. I like the legwork that people had to do to solve mysteries. So that's kind of one of the reasons that I, I, gravitate towards more movies from the 70s in terms of style and feel or uh, movies from the 80s in terms of tone because I don't know it just feels more real to me like everyone wasn't beautiful everyone Mm -hmm. wasn't photoshopped beyond whatever it it felt like real stuff yeah agreed agreed 
I wonder if I just am like not super into 1970s film. Maybe I just don't have a very refined palate, y'all. Maybe that's the thing. It's not <laughs> Kitty, for everybody. Kitty, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one of William Goldman's like most important works. And that's yes. The, that's The Princess Bride. Oh, God. I forgot The Princess Bride. <laughs> I mean, I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I forgot Princess Bride. So, yeah, Kitty, I agree. I love, I love the look and feel of, of movies of this, of this era. Going back to uh, the award it won for like, art direction, you know, art direction is, is typically costume dramas or something epic, but this is, you know, the newsroom and the art direction of the differences of the apartments of Woodward and Bernstein. You know, Woodward's is like chaotic with newspapers everywhere and Bernstein's is more like kind of shishi and <laughs> very well put together. <laughs> but there's also just like subtle set design things that I really like too. With Bernstein, like he had his like bike next to his <laughs> desk that I was like, okay, he's like this cool guy who rides his bike to work, you know, and... <laughs> Just kind of setting up the differences of their characters is is in those ways really is is kind of like an art an art to it I think so much about art direction and like the way a a set is designed and set up or whatever like that tells so much of the story immediately that you don't need the exposition for it and you shouldn't have the exposition like it is all there telling you who these characters are what that experience is and you're you're able to take it in visually and. I just, now I'm like, ooh, I'm going to watch this again and I actually thought, pay attention. So apparently you did like this movie, Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> I like all the ideas. Guys, I just yeah. like straight up, I just like started dicking around on my phone and like looking at houses. I'm <gasps> sorry. Okay. I just. So you kind of circle back to the newsroom. What they did is they, they basically recreated the entire um, newsroom on these sound stages, took photographs of people's desks and had them look incredibly similar, went through like trash to see like what they could incorporate in the in the design of it, which is just like, I don't know, I think that's really cool, the, the amount of care that they went into making sure this was as accurate as possible. Oh man, this this entire movie was like, if if there was something in the movie and it could not be corroborated with an outside source, they didn't put it in. And this movie only takes, so the book, which I have not read, William Goldman only used the first half of their book, but at the time the movie came out, you know, Deep Throat wasn't made public, and this was the brainchild of Robert Redford. So Robert Redford kind of was already on, like, getting the whole Watergate scandal turned into a movie in 1972 before the whole thing had even exploded. Mm. And he was kind of like, he had his film company, Wildwood Enterprises, and they acquired the rights to whenever that book was finished. And then he basically had involvement at every step of the way, including who would, you know, play Bernstein. He originally wanted Al Pacino. Instead, they, you know, they got Dustin Hoffman, which is kind of funny when you think that Dustin Hoffman, with Dustin Hoffman and Pacino and Straw Dogs, mm-hmm. but which they had both done by this time. So, Robert Redford was, like, kind of a bigger deal at this point. Like, I mean, Dustin Hoffman had done Midnight Cowboy, Straw Dogs, Lenny. But this this was a, a, a much bigger thing for him. And when we talk about accuracy, both Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford spent time in the Washington Post offices. And they, like, you know, kind of observed everything and, and kind of just lived there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most people know by this point that Dustin Hoffman is from the New York School of Method Acting where you basically just, like, live as your character. Robert Redford is not. And with the research that 
they were doing for the film by being in the in the newsroom and kind of learning from the real people that they were playing. Dustin Hoffman even went so far as to wear Carl Bernstein's actual watch during the entire film. Hmm. So cool. So yeah, and, and you know, we could talk about the cast a little bit because I've kind of already gone into it. So we can start with Robert Redford. Yeah. Oh, dream boat. Since I had dream boat. Yes. Mm-hmm. God, what a handsome man. My mom loves him. God, she loves man. him. So yeah, by this time, he was a number one box office star. He was the 1970s Brad Pitt. Is that what we're hearing? Pretty much, I okay. think. Yeah, especially because like, he started, he was part of this new wave of actors who were taking on a bit more of the control in their own creative so when he started wildwood enterprises and he acquired the rights to do all the president's men he was behind the whole thing and then we have dustin hoffman playing carl bernstein but yeah the just the the rest of the cast rounds out to this amazing talent you know you've got jack warden playing the metro editor graham i just jack warden of Problem Child fame. I know! When I saw that, I was like, I know him from and Problem he was in, Child. And he's an Oscar nominated for Shampoo, but he's from Problem but still, Child. He's from Problem Child. Yeah. No, I, I had the same thought when I was watching. I was like, oh God, it's the guy from Problem Child. Yep, yep. And then you have Martin Balsam as Howard Simmons, the managed editor, who I also love. I think he was in The Taking of Pelham 123, which so. I know is on our list of future films to watch because I love it. Again, 70s yep. style. And yeah, you've got Hal Holbrook, you've got Ugh. Jason Robards. Meredith Baxter. Meredith Baxter Bernie's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> who that? You don't know who Meredith Baxter Bernie is? The mom from Family Ties? Oh, the, the mom lesbian. from Family Ties. I would be supportive. She's part of the, the LGBT family. Um, we love her. <laughs> you just don't know names. And the Not less said about Stephen Collins in this movie, the better. Because he's a <laughs> yeah, I was reading that as well. Yeah, yeah fuck him. I don't know. Who yeah, about. Stephen Collins, the guy who was in Seventh Heaven. Yeah. Oh yeah, fuck yeah. him. The dad, the dad from yeah. Seventh Heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, great cast. The cast is amazing. The director Alan Pakula. I'm so sorry if I'm saying his name wrong. Pakula. He'd go on to direct Sophie's Choice, The Pelican Brief, loads of mm-hmm. other stylistically like tense films. And yeah, one of the one of the things that I did really enjoy about this movie is like the correlation between art and life and art imitating life and how they tried to keep everything so tight Mm -hmm. with what they were showing so the actually you mentioned the security guard and the tape the tape on the door that security guard is frank willis and he was the actual security guard who discovered the watergate break-in oh i love when stuff like that happens Mm -hmm. yeah he would Mm -hmm. sadly never work again Uh, yeah i read that like ever (laughs) no oh yeah. yeah. This film also introduced the phrase follow the money, which had never been used before. That was a William Goldman original. Ooh. Wasn't in the book. And now it's kind of like a classic, you know, thriller thing. That's what this movie's known for, that phrase is follow the money. Yep. Which is spoken by, of course, the wonderful Deep Throat, played by Hal Holbrook. And nobody knew who Deep Throat was. They thought it could have been a bunch of people, they thought they could have been making it up, but yeah, so Mark Felt came out in 2005 as Deep Throat. At the time of the Watergate break-in, Mark Felt was the deputy director of the FBI. And so, like, the, the second-in-command guy. But when they were casting this movie, and, you know, of course, Bob Woodward was helping Robert Redford with that, they chose Hal Holbrook because of his strong resemblance oh, to really? Mark Felt. Mm-hmm. That is I interesting. Mean, 
I'm sure, it, you know, because he's talented also, yeah. but. That is really cool. And there's so much about this that's so, like, relatable to, to today, uh, obviously, yeah. with politics. <laughs> but in their first conversation where they're talking, and he's like, it's that dark scene in the, in the, in the garage. He's smoking his cigarette. It's just so cool how it's, it's all framed. And Woodward's like, well, how, you know, how could people in government, like, make this happen? And he said, well, the truth is, these people are not very bright. <laughs> and things get out of hand. And I'm like, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So one of the things I actually wanted to ask you guys, so, like, you know, of course, I don't think this movie could ever be remade. One, because I, it's done so perfectly. And two, I don't think people would care about the Watergate scandal. But it, As evidenced by my lack of attention. Yeah. Yes. God damn it, Ashley. But what would, Ashley, if, if they were to make a similar film today where you have the theme of, like, words as weapons and, and you know, kind of, like, because this film focuses more on the journalism and the research and the journalists themselves. It doesn't focus on Nixon or, you know, the, the players in the White House at the time. So what would, uh, like, what would it, I was trying to think, what would a good example be of that today? Like, I don't, is it like investigating journalism and what the story would be? I was trying to think. That's no a really idea. good question. And I feel like, I feel like my like lack of attention is also really indicative of how there can be really great films but depending on where like you as a viewer are or where your attention is deeply relates to the experience that you have, right? So I I think there's nothing about this film that was like lacking or whatever. I think it was a lot more of like I just had like other things on my mind and it just started out a little bit slower and I was in a place where I needed something that grabbed my attention a little bit more and I didn't kind of level set from like all the TV, the modern TV that I watch is like a little bit faster paced and like this, that or whatever to something that's just, that is a little bit slower and doesn't have that like blah, blah, pizzazz, you know, but that's a good question. I can't, I wish I had thought about this a little bit more to think about like, what is something that is related to it? Cause I also think about like, oh my God, y'all, what about the films that are going to be made about this current administration and just like... And all the stuff that's going to get left out and all the stuff yeah. that like over the past four years has become normalized. And I think it is kind of kind of scary, the correlations between what happened then where like Nixon was impeached for this fucking with, you know, reelection or whatever. And now in 2020 and since 2016, there's like fucking Russian interference and all this shit. And we're just kind of like. Um, you know, like literally half our government is like, well, it's fine because we just want to keep holding on to power, you know, yeah. whereas yeah. like 40 years ago, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I, th- I think it's like this came out not even two years after Nixon resigned, which mm-hmm. I think is, is pretty incredible. Just like how quickly they got this all put together mm-hmm. today. I, I. I don't think I could, two years from now, I can't watch a movie about anything going on today. Like, <laughs> or anything happening in the, I think we've been so bombarded with the 24-hour news cycle that I don't think anything as culturally significant like this was at the time in 76 could be produced today because people are just like, they need a break. Because yeah. it's every day, whereas you turn on the 6 o'clock news in 1976, 1974, and, and it's not in your face all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, you don't have people posting on it constantly and posting yeah. conspiracy theories and getting fucked up by QAnon yeah, yeah. and like all that. Yeah, yeah. But I think this also allows us to to see that I mean, so much of the you know the current administration's rhetoric is is you know anti journalism and, mm-hmm. and just going back and seeing this. I mean, obviously we have great journalists today, obviously, but like seeing it, this different type of journalism, like yeah. the feet on the ground, making those phone calls, like just the ease of him being like, oh, yeah, it's Bob Boyer from the Washington Post. People being like, hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, in my head I was like, like I was surprised because they, they all identify themselves when, when they make yeah. the calls. I'm surprised people even talk to them on the phone. There's that awesome eight minute sequence where Woodward is on the phone trying to get information about Howard Hunch and it's one shot and it's just like making all these phone calls and getting connected to these different types of people and having them hold their calls and getting back and back and forth and just seeing like him writing all of his notes down and it's all this scribble and it all looks like disorganized. Um, And at the end of it, he like messes up the, the name. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Who he's speaking to, but he, they, they kept it in because it was just like totally in character. Like, be, oh, I mean, no, I'm talking to, to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> was this also when he had called the librarian and like this is different? Okay, yeah. I do want to. So talk you were about upset that. about this librarian? Yeah, so okay. you have a problem with the librarian. Let's talk about it. Okay, so it's also sometimes difficult when you're you're seeing pieces that were made however long ago, and but we're living in like today's reality, right? So they call the Library of Congress and they ask the librarian or probably like a library assistant, who what did this person check out or what did they look at? And it's like, no, you like I got so incensed as a librarian because I'm like. Your right to check things out and your checkout history is private. And there's actually, so there was actually a Supreme Court case in the early 2000s because after the Patriot Act and everything was passed, the government tried to come in to this one library in Connecticut and say, like, what have all these people checked out? And these four, it ended up being these four Connecticut librarians. They're called the Connecticut Four. And their their identities were kept secret until well after this was done basically stood up to the government and said like no you can't you you cannot know someone's checkout history because just because they check something out doesn't equal intent to act on something and like this is this is a huge deal in libraries and like libraries are all about privacy both like respecting intellectual property but also protecting patron privacy and what you could check out and I was so upset and I was just like what is wrong with that librarian Ugh. and like I actually like got hooked back in and I was like whatever and then I was and then you know then she's like in the film you're always like oh she fucked up she's like oh no I got it wrong and I was like you just didn't do your job very well you are not protecting your patrons damn it but wait isn't that like a big smoking gun for today when it comes to like google searches because, I mean, granted, you're not going to a library to check out how to murder your wife, but if you Google it, you can use it in court against you. So, and Even then if it it's not intent. Yeah, but it depends on if it's on your own private device versus on something publicly, which is why you should never use your own computer to search <laughs> for these things. And you should go to a public library and ask for, like, you don't log in with your own information. You ask for, like, oh, I forgot my library card. And you ask for, like, a temporary login, and then you do that. And you should also just, like, clear your browser history and delete your delete also, your And also everything. just, like, don't Google how to kill your wife. <laughs> Yeah, just also, like, yeah, don't do it. Just... I don't want anyone going through my Google search history. No, nobody does. Mine my would just God. be really dumb. They'd be like, why oh, didn't you know that? They'd be like, he's a sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, how many Note dog videos self, can she look, look at up? Graham's computer <laughs> history. <laughs> wow, he goes to Pornhub a lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Oh, speaking of, I, I, oh, I speaking did a Pornhub. Speaking of Pornhub. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> no, Pornhub. Pornhub, if you would like to sponsor us, we, we can do it. We, do it. we take that money. Fine by me. Porn is a thriving yeah. industry. Yeah. Terrible storytelling. Mostly because of mostly because of me in this in these times. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, of course, they were writing the book at the time, and they offered to write the screenplay, but they sucked at it. Screenplay writing is really hard. Well, they, they sucked at it because they included a lot of reporter gag in, in jokes, like stuff that an audience wouldn't get. They also had subplots about each of them trying to score with various women during the investigation. <laughs> and you get a little bit of that when Bernstein is having lunch with the, the woman who works at the White House and is trying yeah. to, like, pump her for information. But, yeah, that scene was kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's kind that's of a last vestige of their original screenplay. But yeah, that's it was kind of so gross. No, it, it, it's also funny because that was another thing that I noticed around this is that they don't get into the personal lives, really, of... Woodward and Bernstein, like they don't kind of talk about anything beyond this this investigation, which I think kind of ramps up or mm -hmm. kind of doubles down on the fact that it was all consuming for both yeah. of them at the time. I mean, Bob Woodard had a single bed, so. Well, they, well, there were like two throwaway lines, I think, of like Bob Woodward's like, oh, you know, you went to yada, 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 yada. And then Bernstein's like, you know, I've been in this since I was like 16. Like, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's been. And they were, I think, maybe like late 20s when this was all going on. I'm not sure. They were, I think they were so. like pretty young, too. Speaking of libraries. Yes. We'd be remiss, part two, not to talk about the incredible dolly shot in the Library of Congress when they're going through <gasps> all yes! of those. I love that shot. And then, you know what I'm talking about, Ashley? Or are you on your phone? I was on my phone. <laughs> this I'm is so like one that. of the most iconic it's shots so of the good. movie. It's so just good. Get, I'll just so get back get, on they, HBO Max. This film is on HBO Max. You can so also, I also rented it on Primes. They so. all go on the library slips. Oh, wait, yeah, when they're one, flipping. And it, and yeah, it okay, has yeah. an incredible shot. It keeps going higher and higher and higher of all these people at the Library of Congress. But I also love the shot immediately afterwards where it's like the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And then it, it, you find out it's like a reflection as he opens the door on you. Ooh. Did you notice that shot? It just like was fully disorienting. I'm going to um, rewatch so just, just for that Again, shot. that is just like an incredible shot of this movie. Yeah, I love that dollar shot. Thank you for reminding me. So what you're saying I, is I, I, I missed out on a lot of artistry. Pay attention. I feel like Put you your phone down, this. Ashley. Yeah. Let go of your addiction. I am so used to seeing portrayals of Nixon that when we saw actual video of him, I literally wrote down, is that actually Nixon? <laughs> like, because I've seen, like, because I haven't seen actual footage, I've just seen yeah. so, so many filmic interpretations. I was like, oh, that's what he actually looks like. Yeah, that's what he looked like. Oh, yeah, Did not nice. look like Dan Hedaya, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. But I think really the only shot of him that at least I can recall, is at the very end where he's like on, on the TV, smiling. It's his you know, inauguration while Woodward and Bernstein are in the background writing the story that's going mm -hmm. to like bring him down, which I think is just a great juxtaposition at the end of it. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like I was saying before, it's all the little pieces of a whole that make up this amazing movie and it's stuff that you don't even realize until you kind of pay attention and analyze it. Mm -hmm. Which is why I'm glad I was able to introduce yeah. it to Ashley, who wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, I will introduce you to a film, and you won't be paying attention, and that'll be okay. 
I will equally sass you as you should be sassing me right now. <laughs> Did you all ever want to become journalists or any work in this field? I don't think so. I think there's a part of me that I, I, I think it was probably entirely from watching like too much SVU, but I was like wanted to go into forensics. Okay. But I didn't really I hate write. I hate writing. Oh, writing. I loved it. Writing yeah. is so much work for me. Like I can do it, but the amount of energy it takes for me to write is so much mm. that it never seems worth it to me. Yeah. I never wanted to be a journalist, but I did. I used to write a lot, but I wrote like little snippets and like, you know, prior to like the explosion of the internet or whatever, I can see where I was doing early things that I probably would have just like tweeted out and just like mm-hmm. things where I was like, oh, this would be a great snippet in a film or this, this would be whatever. I actually prefer to do more like writing for public speaking because it's something that I'm actually, I'm actually really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are. so, you know, like you want to lean into the things that you're a little bit, a little bit better at. Mm-hmm. Right. But no, I don't think I ever wanted to be I don't think I ever wanted to be a journalist. I was a I wrote for my high school and I wrote for the college newspaper. <gasps> oh, my God. You wrote what? for the Daily Press? I was. I did. So in high school at Bishop Kenny High School, I wrote for the Crusader and I was their entertainment reporter as well as feature writer. Of course. They you once had me write a article on a basketball game and I was like, what? <laughs> so I went I went to the basketball coach and I said, so what happened in your game? <laughs> did you win? And he goes, what? I go, so how many points did you score? And he goes, I don't know, like 25. And what did the other people score? I was like, well, I think I'm done. He goes, don't you want to ask me more questions? <laughs> that is some good journalism, Graham. I, I was like, I was like why? Because like, my teacher wanted me to have a more well-rounded idea of reporting different things. And then I was like, here's my copy of this basketball article she's like okay well um you don't have to do this ever again (laughs) that is also the case for fucking something up so spectacularly people don't ask you to do it she was like um you can just write about movies (laughs) yeah but then i did write at the daily free press at bu what did you write on for for the free i just did random stories about things that were happening on campus i can't even remember they were dysfunctional I just remember that. The Daily Free Press ones or your articles were dysfunctional? No, my, my articles were amazing. My articles were perfect. They were pristine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was a student-run paper at a college. It was, they were like, <laughs> was I was it like, the Yale Daily is, News? I was like, your office is really dirty. <laughs> I did a bit of feature writing in high school, and it was just like ran, interviewing people. I was like, this is really amazing, amazing field to get into with journalism. No, Grandma. I was the one people interviewed. I was not doing the writing. Oh, you? Oh, okay. What they talk about, Katie? Oh, so much. No, it was always like, I want to be in the newspaper article. I don't want to be writing it. I, I, I just wanted a good byline. Well, we can talk a bit about where are they now? We can yes. do our edition of where are they now? Ooh, so Bob, <laughs> Bob Woodward, after, after he broke this story, he spent a lot of time with the Bush administration. He Which wrote one? Uh, first, second, both. George, so I'm sorry, W. He spent a lot of time with W. And that was the second he, one, right? Yes, that was w- the second Ashley. one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, uh, my dad is super conservative, or was, thank God, voted for Biden. But it was just like, ugh, politics sometimes. 
I don't know. Aren't we all just second. still trying to forget W's presidency? I well, well, you don't remember which one it is. So, so you've already forgotten. <laughs> I'm doing a great job. Listen. <laughs> I think it's clear I have attention issues. I have memory issues. Do you remember Bush's whole, like, saying there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? Yeah. Well, I know you do, Graham. I don't. No, I don't remember that, but I do remember. So that was our freshman year of college, right? 2003 was our Mm -hmm. freshman year of college. And I do remember, I remember two things distinctly. People inappropriately playing bombs over Baghdad, which, like, like fucking care about people and then literally being able to watch live streams of like infrared or not infrared it was like green like we're we could literally watch the bombing live from our computers and that to me was just so like what world do we live in it was because like obvious sadly obviously all of these things existed before but we didn't have the capabilities to just like turn on a live stream and watch it happen. Well, Bob Woodward believed Bush. He believed that there were weapons of mass destruction. And so that was kind of a big blow to his integrity when that, of course, that wound up not being true. Mm-hmm. He did, however, he's won two Pulitzers. He won one for this, of course, the Watergate reporting. He also won one for his reporting in 2002 for the coverage of the September 11th tax, mm. which is kind of funny when you look at it with <laughs> in the Bush administration and then you win the Pulitzer mm-hmm. after that. But anyway, he, yeah, he's still working. He's very anti-Trump. He most recently wrote that book rage that Ashley has also raged about. <laughs> it's about Trump discovering the effects of COVID back in January. So he's still working. He's still commenting on news sites and stuff. He doesn't work for the Washington post anymore. What's Carl doing? That's kind of what Carl's still with us. Carl is still hanging out. He has continued his career post this, focusing on the use and abuse of power. Early on, he was reporting on a secret relationship between the CIA and American media during the Cold War. And then he later was reporting in the 80s uh, on the alliance between Pope John Paul II and Reagan. So he's he was focusing a lot on like power alliances and how that affects the current political landscape. He also wrote Hillary Clinton's biography, A Woman in Charge. Mm. But he's currently a very staunch critic of Trump, which is great. As we all But a little be. bit on his personal life. He's been married a few times. And he was married to Nora Ephron. And he had a very public affair while Nora was pregnant with their second child. Who would cheat on Nora and Ephron? She is a Carl, American Carl Bernstein. Carl Bernstein. Carl Bernstein. You bastard. How dare you cheat on Nora Ephron? Yeah, it caused her to go into premature labor. Oh, Their son is okay. Wait, who did he cheat with? Who is so great? She was the wife of, what, it was like a British correspondent or a British, a British person. Well, it's really all on Carl, right? Let's not blame it on the other, the other person. The other woman. But Come on, Carl. That affair inspired Nora Ephron to go on and write the film Heartburn with Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep. Yes. Which I Directed sadly- by Mike Nichols. Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's good. It's good. I haven't seen it. Yeah, just knowing, knowing about that and then seeing, mm-hmm. like, you know, the young, the young girl. I'm like, oh, you are kind of a bastard. Yeah, yeah, you are kind of gross. Do you know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of that Carrie Fisher quote of take your broken heart and turn it into art. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Carrie Fisher's 
perfect at that. So, but Nora did a little. Nora and Carl did a little polish of this screenplay of mm-hmm. all the president's men mm. that William then was like, "No, I'm not using it." Because <laughs> <laughs> William's like, "No, I know what I'm doing." And he's like, "I, I have. A, a, I'm gonna. I'm on my way to get my second Oscar. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm. I'm fine." Ashley, are, have we compelled you to watch it again? Yeah, Ashley, would you? Would you watch this again? It sounds like you didn't oh, watch wait, it would the you first watch, time. Would you watch it for the first time? <laughs> yeah, would you watch it again for the first time? I think I actually, no, I think I actually would. And I think part of it too, again, there are films that people can watch and be like, oh, I hated it. And it happens with books too, where you're just like, it wasn't the right time or it wasn't the right environment for you to watch it. And I think I just, I, I chose a time where I didn't devote my full attention to it. And so... I think I would. I think I need to need to just pay attention. I need to put my fucking phone down and pay attention mm-hmm. and like glom onto the pieces that I really like. But I think this is also too indicative of how you can be trained in something and like how a muscle can atrophy. Like I literally wrote down like why am I bored? Oh my god, what happened to my film muscle? You know. <laughs> and and I think it's also like we we train ourselves with the media that we consume and it's almost like we're creating we're creating our own little algorithms right and like pushing ourselves towards we can often if we aren't paying attention can push yourself towards more like narrow and narrow consumption because like i just want more of the same or more of this mm-hmm. or whatever and i think I and it. i mentioned I this i can't watch horror movies all the time i get it you can't I can't just watch, you know, lighthearted fair all the time. But but I think this I is... I can. Yeah. I cannot. <laughs> Graham's like, Hallmark Channel, 24-7, <laughs> all the time. Pumpkin, I, Inters- pumpkin, pu- pumpkin Pie Wars was on again today, and I watched, <laughs> it, for the, I watched it for the fourth time, oh and I was God. delighted. You were delighted. Oh it's a great movie, oh. Hallmark. <laughs> but I think, I mean, I've kind of talked about this with y'all about how I felt like the media that I'm consuming hasn't... It's just been movies or just like TV, but not artistic and not filmic. And I have also found my satisfaction with the world also kind of lowering in that way. I feel like I've just been consuming too much of the junk food of media and art. And not that there isn't a place for that, but you also need to watch things that are truly beautiful or things that actually push you but like if you don't practice these things and if you aren't continually you know pushing yourself then you just kind of just kind of get stuck in these little ruts well so like for the long version of the short music <laughs> okay yeah get to the can you get to the point tldr <laughs> yeah i'll give this another shot awesome well i was gonna say to you know widen our circle of things that are beautiful and really amazing studies and art ashley why don't you introduce Next week's film. <laughs> the last film in our in our politics. Okay, y'all. Theme. Get get ready. Grandma was being facetious. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, what sort of art are we talking about? <laughs> to I really feel like what I love about the two films that we've chosen is that we've taken Dick. Which, you know, is an homage and a joke. (laughs) 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 Taking some dick. No, so we take dick, which is like an homage and making jokes of, you know, built off of so much of all the president's men. I feel like the the next film that we are going to watch is really taking all of this to its logical conclusion or illogical conclusion 
and is really a cautionary tale at a very important time in our country. We are going to be watching the 2006 masterpiece, Idiocracy. Okay. <laughs> so about what happens when we just keep electing reality stars and people who have no business and birth control um, is not freely available to everyone. Don't, don't ruin so. it. No, don't ruin it. I, I do want to say I have not seen this movie in, probably since pretty close to when it came out. And I've been meaning to rewatch it, especially with the current administration. So I'm pumped. I'm excited. And I'm excited to see what Graham thinks about it, too. I, I Yeah, I remember when it came out, it, it was barely released. Mm-hmm. So I think it made like, I'll get my facts next week straight. But <laughs> it made less than $200,000 at the box office. Holy shit. But I, but I do wow. know that was how limited it was. So, yeah, I, but it's obviously, you know, it has it's resonated with a lot of people. So I'm super pumped about it checking it out and and ending with some little humor fantastic you know we're one week into a new presidency right (laughs) i hope you're all okay and safe we are alive october whatever we're it's mid-october right now it's mid-october guys i have something that i want to recommend (gasps) yes a little yes let me introduce you let me introduce you i recently watched a phenomenal stand-up special on netflix with michelle buteau are we familiar with her no but i am always looking for yeah so michelle buteau it's called michelle buteau welcome to butopia and she is this phenomenal stand-up comedian I, i think it was just an hour of just complete laughter that was so needed during this this these crazy times so she talks about like her marrying a a norwegian husband and having surrogacy for her two twins and it's just beautiful and light and hilarious so i strongly recommend it for y'all i think you both really like it you know what else i would recommend what i would recommend all of our listeners following us on all the (gasps) social media Yes. If you guys don't follow us yet, please make sure you follow us on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You. We would love the followers and to interact with you and to enjoy the the fun things that Graham makes and puts up there. Yes. Rate and subscribe. We are all of our reviews are five stars. So yes. continue or give us one star. It doesn't matter. Actually, don't do that. No, don't. No, don't do that. Actually, but like, like us, rate us, subscribe. <laughs> rate you know. us. And thanks to all those people that have done it so far. We appreciate it. We love it. Yes, we love it. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And we will we will see you next week. Bye. <gasps> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.